Welcome to this very special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, the 2019 Catholic Social Services Breakfast with the Bishop, featuring the Bishop of Columbus, Ohio, Bishop Robert J. Brennan, and Sister Norma Pimentel. We're going to start off with the opening prayer offered by Bishop Brennan, then we're going to hear from the President of Columbus Catholic Social Services, Rachel Lustig, and her introduction of Sister Norma Pimentel, who's been referred to as the Mother Teresa of South Texas. Then wrapping up this presentation, we'll hear again from Bishop Robert Brennan and his closing remarks. Here's Bishop Brennan. Enjoy. Good morning. I'll have a chance later on to say a little bit more to you, but for now, just let me say thank you for being here. You're so very, very welcome. We are glad you're here. Sister Norma in particular, what a gift it is for us that you made the time to be with us today. We appreciate it an awful lot. Mercy, you have shown us your face in so many ways and invited us more deeply into your friendship and your love. We ask you to open our hearts our eyes and our minds, that we may be more attentive to your presence, that we may hear your invitation in the cries of those who need support, encouragement, understanding, or forgiveness. We ask you to open our minds, our eyes, and our hearts that we may see you in the beauty that surrounds us, the people who love us, and those who care for our needs. We ask you, Lord, to open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes, that we may turn to you in prayer, that we may serve you with joy, and that we may show the light of your love to every person we meet, in everything we say, and everything we do. We thank you for the nourishment you provide us for these great things. We ask you to bless our gathering, to deepen the ties of friendship amongst us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've had the opportunity in his short tenure to get to know um, Bishop Brennan a little bit. So uh, I just want to tell you just a little bit about what, what I've got to see. When it was announced that Bishop was going to be our new pastor, we extended to him a welcome to Columbus tour. And we were going to hit the highlights, you know, the hilltop, the near west side, Linden, the near east. And Bishop said, absolutely, to the first opportunity that you can give me because It was his opportunity to come and meet our clients. And he spent the entire day with us. And over the course of that day, I got to watch Bishop Brennan walk around a room about this size and thank 150 of our senior volunteers individually for the 20-plus hours of service that they give to Catholic Social Services. I got to watch him at the Our Lady of Guadalupe Center. 
Bishop Brennan is a fluent Spanish speaker. And I got to watch a small baby boy jump into his arms and seem content to stay there for the rest of the time. I also got to watch Bishop Brennan's pastoral side. One of our clients was experiencing a rather difficult time. And as she wept, Bishop Brennan listened and consoled her. And I'm sure that he was saying a very deep and tender prayer for her in that moment as well. A couple of weeks later, I got to hear Bishop give a homily. And very similarly to his beautiful prayer this morning, he said, What drives us to the altar is our opportunity to be be at the place where people suffer. And being at the place where people suffer drives us right back to the altar. And that, my friends, is exactly what we do at Catholic Social Services. That is what we have been doing for the last 75 years. And in this last year, we have served 34,000 people in the 23 counties that comprise the Diocese of Columbus. We help low-income seniors stay independent and to age with some dignity and grace. We help working poor families stabilize through a crisis and reach and thrive for a better tomorrow, an opportunity to break that cycle of poverty. Bishop, I also want you to have the opportunity to get to meet the friends that are in this room because it is these friends who have been with us to make that happen. It is thanks to the generosity and support of the fantastic people who are in this room, our sponsors, our donors, our partners and volunteers, who have done so much to make sure that Catholic Social Services can be the hands and feet serving vulnerable people in our community. We have a couple of great memories, these friends in the room and I, and I just want to share three. In the last few years, we have served together 50% more seniors. Thanks to your support and generosity, we've been able to do more for that growing population of people in our community who need that help to stay in their homes in the way that they want. The second thing is it was this group that supported our application and helped us to be selected as one of three organizations nationwide to run a replication effort on a program called Stay the Course. This exciting program has helped low-income community college students be twice as likely as their peers to stay in school. And women in the program have been four times more likely to graduate. We could not have won that national competition if it wouldn't have been for the partners and sponsors, elected officials to the Columbus State Community College who were a part of our application and who said, yes, let's bring that life-transforming program here to Columbus. Yeah.
It seems only fitting that I share one final memory that we've got together. Because two years ago, it was with this group in the room where we locked arms together and transformed a tiny food pantry the size of a three-car garage serving the newly arriving Hispanic community and said, let's turn this into a community center that can help a new immigrant population build a better tomorrow. Thank you to your support and partnership that we were able to make the Our Lady of Guadalupe Center happen. I'm sure that everybody says this, Bishop, but it's we who have the best supporters and partners and friends, and I bet you can't wait to meet them all in this room. So why are we here today? At the breakfast with the bishop, we take on some pretty tough topics. We look at what's going on in our community and how it's impacting vulnerable people in our midst. In the last couple of years, we've talked about the opioid crisis and how it's connected to the breakdown of community. We talk about toxic charity and how in our efforts to do good for people, we can harm their dignity. And we look at it through a moral lens, through the lens of of our Catholic tradition. Well, today we're not going to back down from a hard topic. As Tony mentioned, we're going to take on one of the most charged topics in our community right now. And it may seem like immigration is far away. But in Franklin County alone, the population of immigrants in our community has grown by 275% since 1990. Currently in our midst, one in 10 people living here was born in another country. The last time that that was true was back in the 1800s. And that was a little bit more common across our country. So right now, the growth of our new immigrants is happening more rapidly. And what is interesting and fascinating is that that immigrant population is coming from all over the world. It didn't take me very long to realize that the issue of immigration was very close to Bishop's heart. In this picture, you can see Bishop and I at the mass at which it was announced that he would be our new pastor. A very cold day in February. And in the 12 seconds that we got to talk, (laughs) you can see he's very passionate. We had found... It was immigration that was on our minds. What we had in common is that both of us had just come back to the border, come back from the border, and it had touched our hearts very deeply. We had had the opportunity to see people whose lives had been changed by that experience. We had had the opportunity to talk to people who were willing to leave their lives and everything that they had known in order to make a harrowing journey across countries in an effort to build a new life for themselves. We had both had the opportunity to ask 
somebody why they would put their life at risk to do that and why they would put their small children in harm's way as well. So both of us are very passionate about sharing that experience with others. What stories that others have had to tell. So we knew immediately who the right person to help us to tell that story was. Because Bishop and I have a friend in common. Sister Norma Pimentel, the executive director of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. Sister Norma and I have known each other for 15 years. She served on the board of Catholic Charities USA when I was on the staff there. In that time, I got to know and to see what servant leadership is all about. She shows that there is power in tenderness. But I have to say, I was a little surprised when Fortune magazine named you as one of the 200, or 2019 world's greatest leaders. Now, let me be clear. I am not surprised because of her leadership. I have seen this woman. She is exceptionally business savvy. But I guess that I would have assumed that a criteria for being named one of the world's greatest leaders by Fortune magazine might be fortune. I'm sure that she's the first to have taken a vow of poverty to be named on their list. (laughs) But it's clear I need to give them more credit. Because... They recognized your leadership. Nobody cuts through the rhetoric and testifies to the truth better than you do. You embody what Pope Francis talks about when he calls us to an encounter with the other. And we are so honored to have you with us today. Bishop Brennan, friends in Columbus, please join me in welcoming Sister Norma to the podium. so much. Gracias, Rachel. (laughs) Well, I am really, truly thankful to be here with you this early in the morning. (laughs) I I never thought that you can get a crowd as big as you this so early in the morning. So so it's something new that I've just learned. It works, huh? So thank you for the invitation. I, um, I was asked to share a little about, about who I am and how I got myself to where I am now. And um, actually, you know, I, if I look back in my life and uh, what happened to me early on, my family comes from Mexico, and my, my dad decided to uh, come to the United States back right before I was born. 
And, and uh, he was kind of looking for that American dream to come to the United States, and maybe in the United States he would have a chance to, uh, for his family to grow up and, and have a future. And that's when I, I happened to come. And uh, my dad simply crossed the border and the point of entry back in, in Matamoros to Brownsville, and he uh, asked, what do I need to do to, to live here? And they, and they told him, well, fill out this application. And uh, so he did. And he was ready to go back, back to Matamoros and wait for the response. And they told him, no, you have to wait here in the United States until we give you a response. You can't go back anymore. And so he wasn't ready for that. He, he was with my mom and my older sister, two years older. And I was about to be born. I was... Uh, um, my mom was pregnant with me. And so because they were not able to go back, I happened to be born in the United States. But what I say is by, by chiripa. That means by chance, you know. I'm a U.S. citizen by chance, you know. And so this is where my life played out. I would have been born in Mexico and grew up in Mexico. But because my dad chose to look forward toward this American dream that he had, that I ended up being here in the United States, grew up at the border in the United States, and, and this is where I am today because of him and his American dream. And so when I, um, when I, was, um, I was going to college down in, in South Texas, my gift was art. You know, since I can remember, I have always loved to draw and paint, and so I chose to... to follow a, a profession with fine arts. And after graduating, my dad really wanted me to, uh, to stay home. And I had other plans for myself. I was planning to just continue my, my life and uh, look forward to my gift, which was drawing and painting. And it, it was something that I loved to do. But he thought that a girl should stay home, maybe be a teacher and get married. And, and that was it. Yeah. And I said, Dad, I have other plans for me. And, and so um, while I was waiting to go to, to uh, continue my studies, because that was the only way I found that I could get out of the house with my dad saying, okay, you know. And so, so I decided to go back to school and continue my studies. And while I was waiting, I didn't want my dad to get upset or to say, you know, mija, aquí te quedas, you know. I didn't want him to say that. So I said, let me play it safe not go out and just wait for that day when I go back to school and apply for architectural school in, in Austin, and I was accepted. And, and so I was waiting for that moment when I decided to go out. I said I was tired of being home, and so I called this friend of mine. I asked her, Linda, what are you doing tonight? And she says, we're going to a prayer group. And I said, what are you doing after the prayer group? <laughs> And I said, um, she said, I'm going to Pizza Hut. We're going to Pizza Hut. I said, perfect. Come pick me up after that prayer group. <laughs> and, and she said, no, Norma, you have to come to the prayer group because we're not going to come back for you. So you need to come. So I did. And I ended up at that prayer group. And I, let me tell you, God had other plans for me. Because at that prayer group, I experienced something that I had changed my life 365 degrees, you know. I was going in one direction, and he said, stop. I want you to go in this other direction in your life. 
And that's when things changed for me. And I decided at that prayer group, I met the sisters that, that were uh, going, that I joined. The sisters, uh, missionaries of Jesus, were part of that prayer group. And they asked me, would you uh, be interested in, in, in a vocational retreat? Which I had no clue what that meant, you know. I just know it was the way out of my house. <laughs> With my parents' permission, you know. And so I said, anything to get out of this house, you know. And so I went to that, per- to that retreat. And the sisters asked if I would consider maybe God calling me to the religious life. And I said, if it's anything to do with how I'm feeling right now and what has suddenly awakened in me, this desire to know God more profoundly and more deeply in everything that I do and, and is about my life, yes. So I entered religious life. And joining the missionaries of Jesus was, was right from the start an introduction to helping others, especially the immigrants, because we were right there at the border in South Texas. And the sisters were, were receiving families at the convent that the Border Patrol would call at any time of the day or night and says because they didn't have a detention facility just like they do now, they, they would take the moms and the children to the convent. And so immigrant families were part of my community life right from the start. We always had a mother with a baby, with an infant or a child. And this is who I became. And I was introduced to this knowing how to welcome the stranger and how to welcome families into our community and to my life. And so um, <clears throat> Sister Juliana Garcia, who was our then superior and extraordinary woman in my life. She, was, she be, became my mentor and understanding who I am and discovering that call that God had, was calling me to. We, soon after I entered, our local bishop, John, the late John Fitzpatrick, uh, asked the missionaries of Jesus to oversee a refugee home, a shelter for immigrants coming from Nicaragua and El Salvador back in the 80s, the time of uh, Bishop Oscar Romero. And many people were coming in great numbers to our, to our South Texas. And the diocese had this shelter for these families. And so he asked us, the missionaries of Jesus, to oversee this house. And with the guidance of Sister Juliana, I was just 25 years old, probably at uh, 26, and um, we were in this home helping thousands and thousands of immigrants coming to South Texas and just crossing the river and arriving to our shelter wet and muddy and, and, and in great need of help. And we would welcome them and help them. And so during that time, I remember one day, Sister Juliana, we were going for lunch, and she tells me, Norma, there's a group of people standing up in defense of the families, the actual families we're helping, the people from El Salvador and Nicaragua. And they're questioning our congressmen, why are, are you voting in favor of sending a million dollars a day to support this country's war? And so let's go support them and for the efforts they're doing because we know the atrocities that these families are actually experiencing and having to flee from their countries because of this war. And we would hear the stories of people arriving every day, you know, and 
I would sit and hear stories where a man would show me his hands and he would have no nails in, in, in both hands, how they would torture them and pull their nails off, or, and horrific stories like those. And so we knew what families were going through and what, why they were fleeing their country. And so Sister thought it would be a very good thing to support these groups that were trying to convince our congressmen that this war was not good. So we showed up to this uh, congressman's office at our lunchtime just to show our support. And when we were there, they decided to call the cops. <laughs> and so while we were there, the cops arrived and told that we must leave or otherwise we would get arrested. And so they started to arrest everybody that was in that room. And Sister turns around and looks at me, and she tells me, Norma, when you believe in something, and then you run away when things get tough, then you really don't stand for anything. You're nobody. So we need to decide. We both cannot get arrested, you know. Somebody, somebody has to go back to the shelter and, take, and, and run the shelter. So I'll let you decide who stays. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I thought about, about it myself for a while. And I said, well, I am the youngest one. Now she's over 50 and I'm barely 25 years old. And so I said, I guess it's me, right? <laughs> and she turns around and says, okay, bye. <laughs> So there I was, left all by myself, ready to get arrested. Really quite a transforming moment for me in my life. Early on, she taught me how to make a decision and to really question myself. What do I really stand for? You know, How much am I willing to do for the other? It was not an easy decision to make, but I knew that that's where God wanted me to be. So I got arrested. It was a tough thing to do, especially when I have a father that made me grow up and say, you obey the law, and you officer tells you to leave, you leave. <laughs> and so I had to stand firm and say, um, I need to be here. Sometimes we have these defining moments in our life they helped us find out what God really is calling us to be and who and what to do. Even if it means to go against something that, that you quite don't understand why we have to stand up for the rights of others. And, and so I did. I think that moments like this, that Sister Juliana helped me understand and answered to my calling and to my reasons why I, of who I am and learning to respond at the moment that God calls you is important. Just like when we moved forward to 2014 when we had a surge of families arriving to South Texas in great numbers and mostly children, kids, little ones. And they were being entering our country in great numbers. And so we started to see families at the bus station, families with moms and children, 
they were all um, great, just being dropped off by Border Patrol at the bus station because there was no room at the detention facility that they had. It was a facility that could only hold 300 people at one time. And it's just a processing facility to help them figure out what to do with these immigrants, kind of vet them and figure out whether they're criminals, send them to a prison. If they're adults, they would send them to a detention facility for adults. And the children, well, they didn't know what to do with them. They quite didn't have a space to send children, little ones, five, ten years old. They were being apprehended with somebody other than their mom or dad, and so they were classified as unaccompanied children, and they needed to be sent to another department to take care of them and make sure they're safe. So in the meantime, they had them in this small detention facility that could only hold 300 people, and they had to keep them more than 1,000 of them there, kids. And the parents that came with their kids, they were given permission to go ahead and continue that process somewhere else in the United States. So they were able to travel. Those were the families we were seeing at the bus station. They were dirty and muddy and hungry and crying, dehydrating. And we were seeing that they're right there in our downtown bus station. And that's when we responded. And we went to the bus station to try to help and offer them a relief of what they, where they were with no sense of what to do and how to move from that point on where they needed to go. So Catholic Charities took the lead, but everybody else followed. And together, we responded to what is now a humanitarian respite center. From that day, which we received close to 200 immigrants to today that, we, that we've helped way over 160,000 of them. Back then in that first day when I was driving to the bus station, I thought, Norma, think, what do you need to do? You know, I know there's a lot of people at the bus station. They need help. They can be at the bus station because it's not the place to be to help them because it was chaos. So I called the pastor of a local church that was just a block and a half away from the bus station, and I say, Father Tom, I need to borrow your parish hall for a couple of days. <laughs> Father Tom was in Chicago in one of his meetings, and he said, yes, sister, go by and get the key, you know. Now, when do you hear a pastor to say, yes, take the parish hall? Never. <laughs> They have to have a meeting to decide because they have so many activities to do, you know. But he said yes. Maybe it was because he was Franciscan. I'm not sure. But <laughs> whatever it was, he said yes. And we had the keys for, the, for that parish hall. And instantly, we transformed that parish hall into a response, humanitarian response where we called people and said, meet me at the parish hall. What for? I have no clue. Just show up. <laughs> bring up your friends. Have them bring their friends. And we'll figure out together at Sacred Heart. Sure enough, we had a, a complete response within days. I mean, right there, that instance, donations pouring from everywhere through social media, calling and texting and saying we need pampers, we need milk. We need white bees because we didn't even have showers. 
We had mountains and mountains of everything that we needed instantly. The city comes that first two days that we were there because they heard something was happening in its sacred heart. It was definitely chaos, but I call it holy chaos because there's a wonderful thing happening. Hundreds of people needing help and hundreds of people helping City official walks into our uh, that Sacred Heart Parish Hall, and they say, the city manager says, Sister, what are you doing here? I turned and looked at everybody in that parish hall, and I saw so many things happening. I turned back and looked at him, and I said, Restoring human dignity. That's what we're doing. You know, I think he was there to lay down the city code and tell me all the things that I was doing wrong, which I probably was. But he took a step back. He didn't expect that answer. Later on, he, we became great friends. And he told me, you got me there with that answer, sister, you know? <laughs> I, he came back and told me, sister, if I had a magic wand, what would that magic one do for you? And I said, showers. <laughs> sure enough, that evening we had a mobile unit of eight showers. And from then on, we had 100% support of the city government. Anything and everything Sister Norma wanted, we had. We had tents with air conditioning, mobile clinic, mobile units, everything. The city was present, 100%. And we were able to then bring together everybody that wanted some, to do something about this. It was not just the Catholics. It was the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Jewish. You name them. We were all there. We were all one community. Together responding to a reality that we were seeing before us. Because we all agree in restoring human dignity in being present to make a difference in the lives of these innocent, vulnerable people that were right there in our community needing our help. And together we were able to respond as one church. I remember so many media coming over and and talking to us, and, and one of them wanted to do a live interview with me outside, So we had people calling and asking questions, and one of them asked me and said, Sister, since you are doing this, I'm Catholic, but I don't agree with all of these things that you're doing there with helping these illegal aliens, so I'm not going to be Catholic anymore. And I said, Mijo, I don't know what you're going to be because every single other church is here with me. I think that once you see, it changes you, who you are, and what this is about. It's no longer about politics, whether people have should come or not come, and all this narrative about the fact that they're criminals and they're uh, here to hurt us. 
It only brings in this sense of fear to support a political agenda that is trying to destroy and keep us from really, truly bringing out our humanity. Back in those first days, I asked a local judge to give me permission to get me inside of the detention facility where the children were. Kids. They said they were there in in great numbers. So I wanted to be there. And so I, I did. I was able to go inside this detention facility, which today we see a lot of in the news. Back then, nobody went in there. And I walked and I saw these children in these cells, hundreds of them. And you could see them through the glass window, and all their little faces just looking out at us, faces full of tears. And I asked the officer, I want to go in there. And they said, You can, sister. I want to pray. How can you say no to a nun that wants to pray, right? (laughs) So I got myself inside. But it truly has been the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. To walk into a room, a space, with hundreds of kids, chiquitos, crying. I could barely even get myself to the center of the room, of the space I had there, that cell. They're all around me, looking up to me, with their faces full of tears. Children in detention. Not for one day, not for one week, for more. And they were all saying, Sácame de aquí, get me out of here can't breathe, no puedo respirar. Ayúdame, help me. I just could not understand how we, of such a powerful nation, can have children in those conditions. So we prayed. I said, vamos a rezar. I said, Diosito, ayúdanos, help us, God. And they would pray after me. And through the window, I would see all the officers standing, looking at us. I know they were at the verge of tears themselves. As I walked out of the room, the officer in charge turns to me and says, Sister, thank you. You helped us realize they're human beings. I think we forget our own humanity because we try to be so law-abiding and follow the rules and forget they're human beings, that they're people, they're kids. I think... There's something much better in us that calls us to say, yes, I'm here to do what I can, to make sure that we stand for you and we offer you the dignity 
and the respect that every human person deserves. It is what we're called to do. I think it's a God mandate that we defend life, all of life. It is our responsibility. And if this is happening in our country, how we receive people who are fleeing, whatever it is that they're doing that they're leaving their country, whether it's because of economical reasons, but they're here. And their stories that I hear over and over and over again are stories of moms that flee their country because they want to save their child. Because back home, they don't have a chance. And they're here looking for protection, for safety. And yet, we say, go back. It's not my problem. Right now, at the border, we have almost close to a thousand people waiting on the other side of the border because we have a new policy, remain in Mexico. You enter through our country asking for asylum, you have to wait in Mexico. We'll let you know when you can come back. It's raining. We have a tropical depression in the Gulf right now. It's raining. And the families are out there in the open at the bridge, waiting, hoping that they can cross over one day. Children, moms, infants. It is truly sad to see that. That we are not facilitating a safe passage for these families who are simply asking for protection. We can provide them with a better option than that. We must be better than that. We must be a country with leaders that stand out to defend life, to protect the dignity of all people. We expect a third world country, Mexico, to take care of them. Because we can't. I think we most definitely can take care of ourselves and take care of many more. Because we have, we have been blessed with a wonderful, extraordinary country. They should not be afraid to open the doors of our heart to say, welcome. Let me see how I can help. And there's much that we can do, more so than what we're doing. To be allowed to be deterred, to lose our humanity because That is the best thing we can do. 
Back in 2000, when we had Casa Romero, and I shared this last night, a story of this lady who I invited to the house to sell me a Xerox machine. Because I was, we were filling out asylum papers to the many hundreds of people that were coming to Casa Romero. And we needed to make copies of these uh, applications. And so I needed a Xerox machine. And I call this lady, and she comes over, and she tells me right from the start, she said, Sister, I'm against 100% of what you're doing here in this, in this place. You should, we should not be helping illegal aliens. And I said, thank you for telling me. Let me show you what I do and why. So I showed her the grounds, introduced her to the families and the children, and explained to her why they were there. When we get back to the office of Casa Romero, she turns around and asks and tells me, Sister, I am 100% in favor of what you're doing. <laughs> and she says, I don't know what you're doing here. You're the best salesperson I've ever met. <laughs> your, your talent, your 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 you should be using and making millions somewhere else. I said, this is where God has me. And I'm using my talent where I think he needs me. That evening, her husband calls me and tells me, Sister, I don't know what you did to my wife. She came home tonight and she said, if Sister ever calls you, you make sure you do whatever she tells you. So I'm calling to report to you. You can call me and ask me for whatever you need. I think that when we see our hearts open and we can better understand what God is asking us to do. We live in a country today that there's a lot of hatred. I think this hatred is based in a fear that, that does not help us understand truly the real reality of what things are, are. Because if we actually would be able to see the child, the families that I see on a regular basis, you will know that God is calling us all to say, welcome, how can I help you? I think we are blessed immensely, and we must share that blessing with those that need us. Our, our leadership today in our world is one that can stand to bring out the best in others, because we all share something in common, and that is the fact that we believe that life must be respected, must be cared for, and that we must find ways to bring us together and unite us, not divide us. That there is much more that we can do than what we are already doing. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, tells us that we must go home tired, 
of doing good. And believe me, if you stay in contact with God on a regular basis, you will go home tired doing good. And it's a good feeling to do that. And there's much to do. And it is people like yourself that can do it. We must not be content just with what we're doing right now. Because there's a lot of pain and suffering and so many people that need us. Let us unite in making sure we make a difference in the lives of those that really need our help. Thank you. We're restoring human dignity. Thank you, Sister Norma. Thank you. One of the things that I noticed is that when you're walking with Sister Norma, you're walking in a circle of great respect. People really respond to Sister Norma. People have a tremendous respect, but there's a reason for that. It's because of the respect and the dignity with which Sister Norma treats everyone she meets. You see, what we're talking about today is not just a political story. Certainly, it plays out in the political field, but unfortunately, so much of it just stays right there. We're talking about a human story. And Sister sees the human dignity in everyone. Sister, you said you, your gift is in art, in your love for drawing. You've given us a tremendous image, a tremendous portrait of the human side of so many of the stories that we get to hear about but you bring us deeper to see the human dimension of it. Thank you for that. Thank you for helping to bring out the best in all of us. But, Sister, thank you, too, for the great work you do down in McAllen. Thank you for being our face, for bringing the best of so many good people and drawing the gifts of so many wonderful people. See, too often, again, I go back to the political, too often the debate gets down to making some points, saying something that helps us to feel good about ourselves. There's so much more to be done. The hands-on, the human dignity. One of the things that was so edifying this morning is I saw so many of you coming in. I've 
encountered you along the way in so many different places. So many of you are restoring human dignity right here in the city of Columbus and in the surrounding cities and counties. In your care for the poor, in your direct service of feeding people, but feeding people with dignity and respect. There's a little conversation. I've seen you at work, and I've seen the impact that you have in people's lives on a daily basis. I've seen so many of you at work behind the scenes, maybe in boardrooms, maybe in kitchens where you're putting food together or doing something that you don't get to interact with people, but you're making a tremendous difference. I've seen how you restored human dignity all the time. And when we're faced with a topic as challenging as immigration in our country, the situation of those who've made that journey, in the center that Sister runs through Catholic Charities, many people have been through everything already and then the, the processes and they're following through the legal situation. And here, though, now they find a welcome. Some food some human compassion. I think that's a challenge for all of us, to dig down deep into that human compassion and to see the humanity in, in everybody, in everybody on all sides of this. Sister mentioned the city officials and the officers. When you walk with sister, they respect sister. Because sister respects them. She draws out the best of so many people. So, sister, thank you for bringing out the best in us today. Thank you so very, very much. And thanks to all of you for being here today. It's great that we have the opportunity to sit down, to reflect a little bit more deeply to remember why we do all the different things that we do. But thank you also for the things you do every single day. And in a very particular way, thanks for your support for Catholic Social Services. Thank you for opening hearts and changing lives. Thank you very much for joining us for this very special presentation of highlights from the 2019 Columbus Catholic Social Services Breakfast with the Bishop. We heard from Bishop Robert J. Brennan, the Bishop of Columbus, Ohio, Sister Norma Pimentel, and the President of Catholic Social Services, Rachel Lustig. To learn more about the amazing work of Catholic Social Services, please visit their website at colscss.org. 
The website, once again, is colscss.org. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you, and have a great day.